This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. It hasn't even been 24 hours since Trump was indicted, and already we're looking at a showdown for the ages. Trump's clown car of a legal team is looking to make hay while Judge Cannon still presides over the case by throwing a litany of fucking bullshit motions in front of the court, all in an attempt to derail the prosecution. Among the first actions will likely be a procedural motion that pieces of evidence be excluded because they were obtained from notes taken by Trump's lawyer Evan Corcoran and should be covered by attorney-client confidentiality. A federal court and federal appeals court have already ruled on the effort, but Trump's team may be able to get away with his new judge, Eileen Cannon, to throw it out of court. This will prove to be a litmus test on how much Cannon is in Trump's pocket. Cannon, a Trump appointee, confirmed to the federal bench just days after Trump lost his re-election bid, ruled differentially for Trump last summer when he contested the FBI seizure of some of the very documents that we're talking about. And legal experts described Cannon's pro-Trump rulings at the time as fucking insane and even lawless. And a conservative appeals court panel, which itself consisted of two other Trump appointees, quickly overruled her. Now, according to the New York Times, in that case, she shocked legal experts across the ideological divide by disrupting the investigation, including suggesting that Mr. Trump gets special protections as a former president that any other target of a search warrant would not receive. So what does it mean for the case? Cannon will be in the driver's seat to help dictate Trump's legal future. After special counsel Jack Smith obtained an indictment in the Southern District of Florida, about seven active judges in the district appeared eligible to preside over the case. In a completely fuck-up twist of fate, the court's goddamn computerized assignment system, well, it gave the case to Cannon. I mean, come on, do we believe it? I hate to say it, but I actually do. As the presiding judge, Cannon will oversee all the pre-trial shenanigans on everything from admissibility of evidence to makeup of the jury and timing of the trial to whether or not the whole case should be thrown out. And believe me, there is so much goddamn evidence against Trump that the only way that he doesn't go away in cuffs is if Cannon fixes the trial for him. And the way to do that is to not veto any of the prosecution's attempts to bullshit the court with these pretrial motions. So watch this space, folks, because the key to this case and whether or not Trump goes to prison will be the behavior of Judge Cannon. She has an enormous amount of sway, and in the coming days and weeks, we'll tell a lot about which way the trial goes. Now, I gotta be honest with you, I don't believe that she's gonna go the way Trump wants. We've seen that time and time again. But then again, who knows, and it's why I'm telling you, we gotta keep our eye on this. And after yesterday's arraignment, Trump went on a whirlwind tour of Miami, basically acting like a shameless fucking jackass while running his mouth. And talking to reporters from his Bedminster, New Jersey golf course on Tuesday night, 
Former Trump shouted that we gotta get tough in response to the federal indictment against him and the other potential criminal charges waiting in the wings. Now that the seal is broken, the seal is broken by what they've done. They should never have done this, Trump said. This was an unwritten rule, unless it's really bad. I mean, I don't know what the hell he's saying. Maybe you could figure it out. But to me, it's all fucking jibber-jab. And today, we witnessed the most evil and heinous abuse of power in the history of our country. Very sad thing to watch, a corrupt sitting president had his top political opponent arrested on fake and fabricated charges of which he and numerous other presidents would be guilty, right in the middle of a presidential election in which he's losing very badly, Trump said. I mean, once again, what the fuck is he talking about? Trump then went on and promised that if he wins the presidency, he will appoint a real special prosecutor to go after President Biden, his family, and all others involved in the destruction of our elections, our borders, and our country itself. I mean, talk about fucking gaslighting. So, basically, what he's saying here is that if he wins, he'll appoint a special prosecutor to lock up everyone who has ever disagreed with him. First off, he needs to win so he can stay out of prison. I mean, his only way out is to stall the trial so that he can run for the presidency, potentially win, then once in office, place enough pressure on HIS, the Justice Department, to drop the case against him. In social media posts and in public, Trump's army of sycophants and apologists have portrayed the indictment as an act of war, calling for retribution and highlighting the fact that much of his base carries weapons. At the same time, they continue to paint Trump, well, once again as the innocent victim of a Justice Department run amok, weaponized by President Biden against his 2024 political opponent. Eye for an eye, wrote Representative Andy Biggs, Republican of Arizona, in a post on Twitter last Friday. And then on Instagram, Trump's eldest son's fiancée, Kimberly Gargoyle, posted a photo of the former president with the words, Retribution is coming, all in capital letters. Now in Georgia, at the Republican State Convention, Carrie Lake, who refused to concede the Arizona election for governor in 2022, and who is an ardent defender of Donald, emphasized that many of Mr. Trump's supporters own guns. And here's the quote. I have a message tonight for Merrick Garland and Jack Smith and Joe Biden and the guys back there in the fake news media. You should listen up as well. This one is for you, Miss Lake said. If you want to get to President Trump, you're going to have to go through me, and you're going to have to go through 75 million Americans just like me. And I'm going to tell you, most of us are card-carrying members of the NRA. I mean, Trump went from the courtroom to the campaign trail yesterday in the blink of a fucking eye. The fact of the matter is that for Trump, Winning is no longer about politics or MAGA, but about the survival of Donald Trump, plain and simple. And after standing with a pissy scowl on his face, like someone farted in his limousine as he became the first former president to be charged with a felony by the federal government, Trump quickly ran to a Cuban cafe in Miami where he lapped up to the attention of fervent supporters serenading him with happy birthday. 
Because no matter what, little Donnie will forever be a nine-year-old boy. I mean, this one just happens to be facing 20 fucking years in prison. I mean, look, I am no fan of the DOJ. I wrote my book, Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the Department of Justice Against His Critics for the sole purpose of describing and outlining exactly what a weaponized Department of Justice looks like. And that was what was done under the Trump administration using a willing and complicit attorney general. So when Donald now goes on and starts ranting about the DOJ and the weaponization, what he's doing here, my friends, is nothing shy of deflection. And that's another thing that we have to keep in mind. It's another thing that we have to keep our eye out for. Because Donald will always play the victim, plain and simple. Welcome to the Chicago Board of Trade and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. In the 1980s, they were the largest financial markets in the world. This guy made two million, this guy made three million, this guy made four million. It was like a, an ATM machine for uh, traders. Traders were making money hand over fist, and they thought it was their own little secret. Four FBI men wearing wires infiltrated the Board of Trade and the Mercantile Exchange. This lavish and daring undercover operation was the most expensive in the Bureau's history. But was it successful? It all depends who you ask. The FBI used extraordinary means to detect extraordinary fraud. They were down there to expose a big cheating scandal, did they? I don't think they did. From Entropy Media, this is Brokers, Bagmen, and Moles. Available now wherever you listen. And now for the main event. Joining us today is our old friend Harry Littman, the former U.S. Attorney and Deputy Assistant Attorney General. Littman is currently the legal affairs columnist for the Los Angeles Times and a professor of constitutional law at both UCLA and UCSD. Harry can be seen as a legal and political commentator on CBS, NPR, MSNBC, and CNN. Littman is also the creator and host of the Talking Feds podcast. And now you'd be smart to subscribe to the Talking Feds YouTube channel because it's just great. I mean, new episodes are posted daily. But today, Harry is here with me and you to give us all the rundown on all things Trump, especially the Trump indictment. He is especially interested in Judge Cannon and the damage that she could potentially do to the prosecution's case. I mean, you want to talk about an interesting episode? <laughs> this is it. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Harry, let's just jump right into it because today is, today is the day. And obviously I'm talking about the arraignment. Anything stand out today as unusual? Or would you say that the arraignment, the indictment of Donald J. Trump, former president of the United States for felonies, federal felonies, or would you say it went pretty textbook? Yeah, that is what I'd say. You know, I, I was thinking about it in advance and realized you often have to throw out the book with Trump. But arraignments, Michael, are typically pretty routine and sleepy affairs. This one was the same. Trump didn't even say anything, unlike in Manhattan, where he snarred out, not guilty. 
He kept his arms crossed uh, across his chest and had what's probably familiar to you, his kind of irritated look. His attorney got up and said not guilty. He was able to avoid um, properly. They didn't change the rules on him, but they applied it so he didn't have to have the the, uh, the mugshot. And the, he got fingerprinted, but electronically he didn't have to soil his fingers. It all was very brief. There's some important points that we thought we might learn like when, when, what's the schedule, what's happening next, that we didn't because this was just the duty magistrate, not even Cannon's magistrate. So there's going to be some important points later that would have been noteworthy had they happened today as it was. With both him and Nada, it was quite routine. You know, but there were some interesting things that I found. For example, um, they didn't take his passport. I know at mine, they did. Uh he is unrestricted in terms of leaving the country, which, again, I find somewhat interesting. They also claim that he's permitted to have firearms. Now, that could possibly be only because it's Florida, right? And they've now all gone gun crazy over there anyway. Yeah. But I thought that was unusual because generally, right, uh, you want to take away the firearms of somebody who's going through this. I don't care whether you're Michael Cohen, Donald Trump, or John or Jane Doe. You go to some pretty low places. So the fact that they would allow him to maintain firearms, I thought was interesting. There's also the whole part about him not being permitted to speak with outside of counsel, any of the potential witnesses but here's the interesting thing. They didn't go ahead and say who the witnesses are. I thought that was unusual. And here's why. Here's what I think was happening. This guy is the duty magistrate. He's not even Cannon's normal magistrate. So I think all of this was just sort of routine. It's a really good point you make that I hadn't known about the about the guns. Um, but he was just doing the least possible. It can all be revisited. I think there will be a formal determination of his conditions of release. Um, and, you know, even that they that they didn't take uh, things from him and the like where they did from you represents a judgment provisional by this first guy who doesn't want to upset the apple cart that guy's got Secret Service protection running for president. He's, you know, he's not going to be able to easily run. He will show up for uh, court. But the, the, it, it wasn't final. He, won, he wanted to just get through it. And the next thing we're going to have, and it'll be much more illuminating, is uh, I think Cannon either will say, here's a scheduling order, or I think more likely she'll have a scheduling conference. The lawyers will show up. And then there'd be time for that. One quick point on the witnesses. You're right. That was noteworthy. And I very much expect that was run by Cannon. And, you know, Trump has a real history. Well, you know it personally. Uh, Meadows reaches out to you and says you have a friend in high places or whatever it was, blatant tampering. Mm -hmm. um, so that was probably um, special for him and arranged in advance. The one point is, I think um, preliminarily it includes NALTA. I don't know if that's going to hold up, Michael. They're, they're co-conspirators. They have a right to prepare a defense together. And I don't think they're going to be able to keep him from, from uh, ta e talking even about the case. Other than that, it's 
all all um, routine stuff except this witness stuff. And I think that, you know, Cannon is well aware of. So this is a guy who just wanted to get past that day and not screw things up and and uh, prejudice the the case for uh, Cannon to come in and take over. God forbid. But it looks like it's happening. Well, then he was very smart to keep his mouth shut because every time Donald opens his mouth, it he creates a shitstorm on top of a shitstorm. Well, he's a, as we as we tape though, in a couple hours he'll be opening his mouth big time, right? He's gonna hold a little rally at Bed, at Bedminster in an hour or two, so you know we'll hear him scream that. Yeah, it's actually, believe it or not, it's more than a rally; it's a fundraiser. Really? I mean, talk about the absolute unmitigated gall. I mean, you know, here's how CNN politics online that they put it. His appearance was earth-shaking, an even tragic moment in the history of a republic that has endured for, for more than two centuries after being founded on the principle that no leader has absolute power or should be above laws that apply to other citizens. I mean, the, the absolute unmitigated goal that now he's going to have a fundraiser off a federal indictment, 37 counts, and they're serious, 37 counts, where if you want to have dinner with Donald tonight, it will cost you $100,000 per head. And he may the throw invitations in, I, hear, I hear, Michael, he may throw in, though, a, a free classified document for everyone. Um, yeah, look, as you Hey, yeah. um, by the way, by the way, then I would be in on that right. one because trust me, if, if it's anything like what Kushner pulled down, right, right you could pull a lot more than a hundred grand. <laughs> so you know, it's funny we're living through them. So in a way, we don't appreciate this. What it has to be the most important criminal prosecution in the history of the United States. It has to be the biggest, strongest, most important political test of whether our leaders are men or kings. And we're living through it. So it all sometimes it's big for us, seismic even. But sometimes I think even folks like you and I don't fully appreciate just how big the, the events we're living through. It's you know, it's really true. This is so fundamental and could so shape our republic going forward. Man, it is immense. I mean, he now holds a very unique place in our history. Not only is he the first former president to be indicted for state charges, he is now the first former president to be indicted for federal charges. In fact, couple the two together, he is the first former president of the United States to be indicted on both state and federal charges. And yet, nothing stops the grift, right? I mean, he's out there. I will tell you that CNN further went on and said something which I find absolutely accurate. I find it disheartening. They write that today is a grave day that will rip an even deeper divide in an already estranged country, especially given that Trump's supporters have already once resorted to violence, right, in their bid to overturn the will of the people after the um, ex-president after Trump refused to accept his loss. Now, I will say that I called it. I said it the other day on television, and I said it last week also when the announcement first came out, that I don't think there's going to be the violence that Donald 
legitimately wanted. I mean, he enjoys that sort of, um, you know, melee, the fracas. I mean, he, he enjoys that, especially if it's being done in his honor. But we didn't see that at all. I mean, oh my God, all of a sudden you see on television, one guy gets wrestled down to the ground by one police officer. They cuff him, they take him away. We have that shit happening in the city every, on every other street corner, right? This was, what, 1,000 people that showed up? 1,200 people that showed up? I actually walked past Trump Tower uh, shortly, well, you know, before this thing was going on, there were like 30 people in front of Trump Tower at total. I, this is not what he expected it would be. Even the number of people that lined the street, there were more people at a high school football championship game than there were at this. And I think that's also very telling on where his popularity is going. And I say it's waning. Yeah, look, it sure feels that way that the that the thrill is gone. Of course, Kimberly Guilfoyle Jr.'s fiance said retribution is coming, and he, Trump, had unbelievably. I mean, you you know, he's not leaving himself any rhetorical room, right? Biden, the most corrupt president in history, and whatever like running dog he called um, uh, Smith. But yeah, it doesn't seem to be getting that much uh, purchase. On the other hand. Pretty big chunk of Republicans are, uh, a certain, you know, saying in polls it's it's a political prosecution. But not only is there not the sort of uh, mob um, rule out there, or, or, or you know, mob um, unrest, you're getting every day. You, you know, the Jim Jordans of the world came out with what they had to say before they'd even seen the indictment. But you're getting. Some grown-ups on the R side, you know, Bill Barr, your buddy for starters, but others as well who are understanding the gravity, especially the gravity of the charges and the um, monumental level of, of proof. So I agree, you know, none of this is going to, the scales won't fall from people's eyes immediately, but I think it erodes little by little and it, you know, his political support uh, does wane. It would wane more if he were con convicted before, and the case is very strong before the election. A big worry about Cannon is that won't happen. Nevertheless, you know, I gave up long ago. Maybe you did too about trying to actually um, suss out what's in his head. But um, the only his only play, and he's given it for all it's worth, is to somehow become president because he's really laid his bed otherwise. So there's all kinds of nightmare scenarios if he if he comes out ahead November 2024. A few ones if DeSantis does and a Republican uh, wins. But he seems to have totally committed to the political route and um, a, a concrete worry about Cannon is she'll let him pursue it. But we're going to have such an ugly year where it you know everyone should be stepping back in society and let the socially accepted uh means for resolving di serious disputes like this a jury good and true it won't be happening he'll just be screaming at the top of his uh lungs all through his campaigns and the like and that means almost whatever happens you're going to have a deep and partisan divide, as CNN said. We're living not only through very memorable, but very ugly days. And I think they're going to get uglier, if that's even... Yeah, I agree with you on yeah. that. I will say one thing, though. 
one of the things Jake Tapper yeah. actually asked me when I was just on CNN was about, um, well, he made a statement that the hush money falsification of business record um, matter, that's the New York District Attorney, Alvin Bragg case, the one that they're anticipating using me as a, as a witness, right. uh, that it's not as significant as what we're seeing today, which is the retention of top secret documents and so on. And I didn't want to get into it with Jake uh, because it was a bifurcated question. So I decided to stick with the other half of the uh -huh. question, which was easier considering I had a truncated period of time within which to you know, respond. But I find it, I find it disrespectful in several, for, two, for really for multiple reasons, but I'll just mention two. First and foremost, all of a sudden, everybody's become a professional handicapper, right? Like this is the fucking Belmont Stakes. Everybody's a handicapper and everybody, well, this crime, eh, come on, payments to a porn star in order to affect an election, um, how about, you know, uh, the falsifying business records and so on? It's not as bad as maintaining and refusing to return classified top secret documents, showing it to people like Kid Rock or God knows who else, talking to it about to a journalist, showing them, uh, maybe selling them. Who knows what he's doing with them? Why is one crime comparable to another why are they equating one against the other they are and i want you to agree or disagree with me harry Littman. are they not both crimes i know i went to prison for the hush money payment i didn't falsify any bank records but i went to prison for that why is it that donald should be um should escape the same responsibility that I did, which again, I will always say that I did it the direction of, in concert with, and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. Well, you loaded the question, as is your moderator's right, because yeah, of course they are both crimes. But you may remember, I got my head bit off by Nicole, our, our very good and much beloved friend, Nicole Wallace, on this, because I she was pushing, why didn't the Department of Justice bring this case? And I'm very strongly on record as saying that the Bragg case is righteous. It play, you know, the top line might be payment to a porn star, but the real theme is uh, deceiving the American people so they couldn't, you know, make a uh, proper judgment about the election and, and his merits as a president. But what I said to Nicole Wallace, I would hold to, is that when talking about why should the department have brought or not brought, I said, now it's relatively trivial. And she played gotcha with me and said, you said it was trivial. And I didn't say it was trivial. I did say that it was relatively trivial. And I would stand by that that point. You're, you're certainly right and i agree that it's a righteous case but th this one where he's as president so rankly and and with such damage violates the um his his role and arrogates to himself treats you know the national um resources as his own doesn't distinguish perfectly indifferent to the, the public interest and then maybe endangers men and women around the world and our own national security, I would be glad to say that, yep, you can compare felonies, 
you could compare a uh, an assault and a, and a murder, and that the Mar-a-Lago case that was brought, which I thought would be brought, is in fact more serious, more um, justified yes. to use DOJ. So on, so I'll stay to that point. But if you're asking, are they both crimes, and is Bragg's case righteous? Uh, I'm I'm uh, with you there, but I think what other at least the context where which this has come up before has been the kind of complaints against uh, Garland, which whom I'm always considered, including by you, to be the uh, reflexive champion of. Why didn't he bring that very case? And what I said then, which is, man, if right out of the box he brought that case when there were others there, that you know it would have really played as political. It's good the case was brought. It's good Bragg is bringing it. But this case that was brought last week, it in, in fact is um, more serious. And if you had to, you know, hope for a conviction for only one, I think most people would say that this this is more important. Not just what happened in the world, but what it shows about Trump as president and the damage he perpetrated on the country. Right. Let me say that the other reason why Bragg's case is a righteous case, why it's an important case, and regardless of who goes first, yeah. who goes second, who goes third, who's going to go fourth or even fifth, is irrelevant. The reason it's an important case is, unlike this specific case, which is federal, if Trump happens to be successful and pulls off a win, that doesn't put an end to the case with Bragg. That's a state case, and he cannot pardon himself from a state case. Only the governor could pardon, uh, could pardon him, and highly doubtful that Hochul would do that. Don't know, but he could potentially. It's constitutionally unchallenged so far. I mean, we've never been in a situation right. like this, but a president has never pardoned himself. Um, he could do that, but it would have, again, no effect upon Bragg's case, which again was an indictment by the state. Can so I make let three me ask quick you this: since we're talking, that, though, I know you're of quoted course. for bear. So first, um, I, our, our buddy Andrew Weissman pointed this out. You know, the, no matter what happens, the federal case won't be all done because of appeals, and he's not. He won't. Ha I, I don't. I think the right answer is he can't pardon himself, but it doesn't matter because he can tell the DOJ to just dismiss a case that it hasn't gone to to. Uh, final conviction. And that's what I would do here. Now, on New York, I, so I agree with you on on Bragg and the other reason, but I, I also want to point out, we you've talked about it, you're basically the genesis of the huge civil case brought by the New York AG. And she actually mm -hmm. basically was saying today, we're going to all have to step back while the feds do their case, which I don't think is a necessary position. I was yeah, me too. Took it, and you know the feds did finishing their case. It could be a long time. So this is a case you know intimately, and really you helped build as a citizen doing your duty, but really huge contribution to. And I think what she said, you know, is uh, was unfortunate, but and could well now come to pass. Yeah, I I don't understand it. My hope is that that's not what happens. Mm -hmm. 
He needs to be. I'm not sure why one has to go before the other, before the other. So now if they ultimately decide to bring Georgia, would we say that Georgia is more significant than this? So then that this case then has to go on hold right, or right, right. if then January 6th, which is the Kappa of the exactly. Kappas, right? All of a and sudden, way, now everything good. else. We haven't been paying a lot of attention, but he's doing real things there, including just today putting in um, phony electors in, in the D.C. grand jury. That case would be in D.C. I think that one, you know, Know, um is is likely to happen too and I would have been less uh sure about that but but you know everything you say I um uh, agree with in something they may have to work it out but why why she should her initial position should be to to fold is uh, it's a civil case for God's sakes it makes no sense to me at all but let me ask you this Harry how airtight is the case? That we're talking, we're talking about today's today's case of the mishandling yeah. of the documents. Because you know, as well as almost anybody out there, nothing is ever a slam dunk, especially when you're talking about a slam dunk with Donald J. Trump, right? What should we, as the American, as the American people, what should we prepare ourselves for in this trial? Great question. Uh, and I read this as a prosecutor first, first and foremost. And I'll tell you, yes, nothing's ever certain. But I, it's a extremely strong case. It, it's been from the start. It's clear he did everything. And the only possibility is, does he have some kind of mental defense, um, uh, you know, claim? And he just doesn't. There's just great evidence that he knows what the rules uh, were, that he knows that all his stuff now is concocted. Oh, I could have uh, declassified it. And they have great, they have tapes and other things that show it. So I would have said, um, you know, I, when I read it, I was like, how are they going to present it, et cetera. I would say very, very, very strong. And then the uh, the wild card happened of Judge Cannon. So any district court judge, I've been, you've probably been in this position yourself. I have, can whittle away at a case, do bad legal rulings that take chunks of it out, make it a lot harder, and then what should be a real like steep downhill roll to conviction becomes even uphill. So that's, you know, that's one of the concrete risks she presents. But just seeing the evidence and thinking about how a a judge ought to try it and what a judge ought to admit, it is way, way strong. One final point, you can imagine jury nullification where one or two diehard Trumpistas, you know, won't vote to convict. But in that event, the DOJ is all in. They would move to to retry him. So I, I, you know, I thought before it's just I'd bet the house on it. How's that? That that a jury will convict him. The but the question now becomes: Does Cannon have a way of essentially not completely eviscerating, but like chopping off big chunks of the case in a way that makes it an uphill climb? The answer to that is yes. And then the question becomes, will she do it? And, you know, does she stay on the case? So let me just jump into that for a second, right? Um, She could potentially derail the case. As you said, she could provide delays, which we all know that that's Donald's playbook. Delay, delay, delay. In my specific case, the one that he brought against me for the $500 million, his lawyer actually asked my counsel— whether or not in the discovery 
we can hold off on doing depositions till 90 days after the election. Yeah. I mean, we had to set up, because in Florida you have to do that whole meet and confer and you set up your discovery schedule. Well, we wanted immediate depositions. And since Donald is the plaintiff, obviously his deposition is needed. And so when the councils met to confer and to create the schedule, we wanted the deposition within 90 days, which is the rules. And he wanted it 90 days after the election. So it goes to the whole point of delay, delay, delay. But I'll just what add do you one think quick thing. I know you got a do. question I mean, coming, but that's, yeah. sort of, that's the sort of thing that a district court judge has extraordinary discretion over. He stands up and gives some, you know, somebody's uh, cousin's getting up our midst for we need six months. Uh, she, you know, she really can't, obviously, when that's a caricature, but it's just a very hard thing to reverse if, if she goes with him on, on big chunks of delay. We'll see as a first instance when he's got because everyone quits on him, will they get up and say, oh, we need four months to familiarize yourself, and what does she do with that? But you were on the on the cusp of question, and I interrupted. Oh. So that's, that's really the question. What do you think that a judge canon derailment would look like? I'm going to say this, and maybe I'm being not Michael for a moment, yeah. and I'm not being my sarcastic, pessimistic self. I don't think she's going to derail shit. I really don't. I don't think that she's going to do what so many in the media are already claiming that, you know, she can do, she will do. Look, she was already reprimanded once, and that was a bad move on her behalf. If you look at other judges that were appointed by Trump, they didn't do even what she did before. I don't believe Knowing that the whole world is watching this case, I don't believe that she's going to do what so many people are already, you know, holding her accountable for. Well, God bless you. Derailing you are the one case, sunny it. New Yorker. Maybe you should move to Florida because when that happened before, remember, they, she got seriously slapped around and she just doubled down. Yeah. And she doesn't even have to do it in a, in a nefarious way. She can just like be rolled easily by Trump's lawyers saying we need time for X, Y, or um, or Z. So even if she's kind of trying, I, mm, I'm i really, you, you need, look what's happening in Manhattan or other, you need somebody with a firm hand and at best, she, she doesn't have that and she's obviously, you know, really is, um, um, affectionate or something toward the president who appointed her in the last hours of his administration. I don't know. It's just you, you need to actually stand up and have some spine and, and experience, I think, to keep this on schedule. You saw again in New York, Merchant said, this is going that day. Put it in your calendar now. I don't see that uh, happening. And I just want to say I, I'm not a Trump lover. You're not a Trump lover. But even if I were, if you love Trump, hate him, or are undecided, it's really an imperative democratically to know, is this guy convicted for these serious crimes or not when you decide whether to pull the lever for him in November 2024? And in that sense, a delay that puts the case till after that does a grave service to the democracy itself. But I think it's pretty likely now.
If she's so then let me ask yeah. you. Yeah. So of the 37 charges that were levied against Trump, which ones do you think are the most serious? Like Claire, when no. I say which ones are the most serious, they're all serious, obviously. Right. The mishandling of the documents, the obstruction of justice. But which one of these will create the worst prison sentence for Trump if he's convicted? 37 charges. What's the likelihood that he will be found guilty on all 37 charges? The answer is probably not very likely. There will be some that they will say, you know, we got to give him something, right? He'll have a defense for some of them. But which are the more serious charges? And if he is found guilty of that charge, what kind of sentence do you think that he could be facing? I'm really glad you asked that, because people just are all over the map and not understanding it. It's that form, that familiar dynamic where the statute says up to 20 years and people have them up to a thousand years, but it really depends on the guidelines. But I know the guidelines and I can tell you first, the Espionage Act, the 31 charges are the most serious, and even one of them would produce the result I'm going to get to in a moment. The other ones are medium serious. Uh, for Nalta, uh, you know, he could have had that false statement only, probably walked without jail time, but now he's looking at conspiracy to obstruct. So back to Trump. You com- convict him on one, you convict him on 31. Basically, the way the guidelines work is you're looking at 20 years, essentially. You start at a certain level, you add how serious they were, maybe you add leadership role, and on the grid, on the guidelines, anyone with any questions, I just did something on my, that Tacomas now has a YouTube channel, and there's a thing just about this sentence where I marched through it, but you're looking at certainly a life sentence for someone who turned 77, I think, today. So the other ones are, and then the others follow, they might be concurrent or they might not be. The guidelines don't make that clear. And of course, a judge can can depart. But I can tell you the most serious because you, I just, you just have to know how the guidelines work. And those are any or all of the espionage charges. 31 would be, wouldn't change the sentence versus one. And you just add it all up, including abuse of trust, probably since he was president and leadership role and obstruction as part of of what he did. Um, And you're looking at a range of like 210 to 250 months, something like that. Now, you know, you can imagine even as angry as you justifiably are at Trump that, that, you know, there would be an overall kind of Solomonic decision to say, do we really want him to die in prison or even to go in there? But that's one of the corollaries, it seems to me, that it's now going by the book with Smith. They could have um, imposed that kind of, you know, we'll go light on him, but get him out of the political system or whatever. But the last answer that was when the, let me just very quickly, was when he didn't plead. Now, if he's convicted, even a judge who departs a lot, I don't, the DOJ, I think, kind of has to ask for serious jail time. And a judge kind of has to, well, I don't know, has to, but we'll see. Then it would come down to like clemency. And again, then there's his wild card, his, you know, the joker in the deck, which is if he's elected president and he can make it all go away. And the answer is he could make it all go away. Right. So let me say, and again, I'm going to now stun you by saying this. I don't want to see him behind bars. 
Uh, I've said that before, and I'm going to say it again. That. Not because he doesn't deserve it. Not because I wouldn't want to one day be able to sit across the table from him and ask him, how was your experience? Yeah. Was it as bad how as the, mine? How was the food? Did what you, about the toilets? Right. Right. right? Did, you, did you suffer the way that I did? Did you think at all about what you did when you had me unconstitutionally remanded? Well, the answer is I'll never have that opportunity. But I'm thinking more about the United States of America and the, the danger that Donald Trump poses. This is a man who, even though it was two, three years ago, for four years he received national security briefings. And while he's an idiot, and I say it disrespectfully, he's a fucking idiot, there's still enough that's in that head of his that could pose grave danger to this country, to our national security. Lord knows, we don't even know who he showed half the information right. to. We don't know who has copies of those documents. You know, I saw a photo of one of the rooms and they circled something and they said that that's a photocopier. Well, why would a photocopier be inside a storage room? First of all, I'm not so sure that it is. I tried to blow it up, but by blowing it up, I overpixelated the picture and you can't really see what it is to me. It's, I could not tell you emphatically that that's a copier, but that's what's being reported. If in fact that's true, that's fucked up. That's really dangerous. If it's a scanner, a copier, you know, this is really bad stuff. You know, it brings me to a really random question that I want to throw by you. Because I've asked this question to a few people only because a very good friend of mine asked me and I really don't know the answer to it. If Trump does indeed have to go to prison, does he lose his Secret Service detail or do they have to go to prison with him and protect him right on the inside? Yeah, this is one of all these imponderables because we've never faced it before. I'll give you my sense of what would happen is that at that point, there is a he's got a constitutional right for protection. But at that point, it would be taken over by the Bureau of Prisons. They The Secret Service wouldn't live with them. They'd be part of the uh, planning and on the on the job for how he gets the protection to which he's entitled. But I, I just can't see them. Um, you know, taking over because there's special security considerations and the like for the Bureau of Prisons. But all of this is, you know, it's it's unprecedented. Let me say one thing, though, which you have to admit that's funny, though. Uh, it may, it really, it's I a mean, funny thought, right? More than, uh, you know, many, many points of black humor here. But I, um, I do think this, this is the important thing. Again, if he wins, you pointed out, well, you know, there's Georgia. You can't pardon yourself from Georgia. You can't pardon yourself from Manhattan. But even though they never ruled it, I think the uh, the Supreme Court would find that, that the Constitution requires that his sentence be put on ice while he serves. In other words, while theoretically you think about scenarios where he's not just incarcerated, but the president of the United States incarcerated. And I think the, um, you know, you can't, you can't like invite the, uh, you know, North Park, North Korea president, I said North Park, to come and, um, and meet in uh, Leavenworth. So the, we don't know it yet, but I think <laughs> the court would discern a principle that would basically you know, make him be able to serve his whole term. As I say, he's 77 today. Even if he 
gets sentenced to jail, maybe doesn't get sentenced to jail. All dependent, of course, on what this isn't your and my expertise, but has to be considered a long shot that he win the presidency. But but um, of the many different <laughs> like law school hypotheticals here, the one that I'm confident of, even though there's no law on it yet, is that the president uh, wouldn't wouldn't have to serve his sentence during his or her presidency. Could you imagine he would have Kim Jong-un come visit him over, for example, at Otisville? Uh, Kim, would you like a Hot Pocket? How about a Klondike? Exactly. And a, maybe a Diet Coke, a DC, yeah. you know? Hey, would you like a DC, a Klondike, and a Stromboli, right. a Hot right. Pocket? Could you imagine that would be... Could you imagine the Easter egg hunt on the lawn over there in Otisville, right right next to the bocce course, yeah, exactly. that would be that would be something, <laughs> right? So, Harry, let me ask you this then: How do you answer the Trump apologists that never that cannot acknowledge that Donald Trump ever did anything wrong, and in this specific case, that he did nothing more than being careless? I mean, their feeling is: What is the big deal here? about what Trump did, and more importantly, and this fucking infuriates me, and you know I get hot under the collar kind of quick on this shit, where they say, how is this any different than Biden keeping documents in his garage or Hillary Clinton with the email or Barack Obama or Bill Clinton or any other president, as Donald once said, going back to George Washington? It's so hard to think that this is intellectually honest on their part. They had written the press releases and the talking points before they even saw the evidence. But, you know, night and day under states it. They very purposeful. You know, think about this indictment, how long they've been working on it. Every line, all the theories were just very, very carefully thought through. So the the whole focus here is in the month or two between getting the subpoena and completely lying uh, about it. So besides that in every particular, there's, there's signs of intent. The number one thing that is 100% present for Trump and 0% present for um, Biden or Pence, for that matter, or any any you know um, sensible person, is that when the lawful demand of a subpoena arrives to someone to do the documents, anyone else would turn around and completely play an open hand. And he, you know, my favorite paragraph in the indictment, fifty four, was like, "I don't want anybody taking my boxes, my dog." He treated them as yep. his. And um, he totally tried to hoodwink, lie to the uh, United States, and it had grave national security uh, implications, as people like Bill Barr, who also pointed out the strength of the evidence, would say. So in, in, in some sense, it, when people say things like that, you want, you know, in the real world to just like not waste your time on things that so obviously are laughable and shouldn't be taken seriously. Of course, these are taken seriously just because they may have political impact in and of itself and making, you know, uh, big uh, chunks of the American people believe it. But, you know, it's silly. It, you know, it's like uh, saying saying oh, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to come up with with there are many, many outlandish metaphors, but it's a 
friggin' joke for them to say it. They can't believe it themselves. And they, it has the, the things that he's really been charged with, besides the taking away, which Trump seems to have done purposely, and they did accidentally through AIDS, he, and Trump was personally involved. If you look carefully at the indictment, as Smith um, urged, and none of them has done, the whole the whole thing is what he does when it's time to to return them, and this is after a year and a half of of screwing around with the executive branch, and then it's just a breathtaking and crystalline um, uh, obstruction and complete disregard for the the national security. There's zero of that for Biden or Pence. So people are going to talk. On the other hand, some others are, even on the Republican side, are acknowledging the gravity of the charges. And you have to hope that little by little by little people recognize it, understanding it will never be completely okay. And that, you know, social media today had all this, had violent stuff. Those those people are also going to talk, but little by little by little. It's a particularly hard defense to make of Trump. That doesn't stop the Jim Jordans of the world from trying. But you have to hope that a big chunk of the middle, including people who cast their ballot for Trump uh, in 2016 or even 2020, can see through it because it's transparently um, in the asinine argument. I mean, other than the Trump trash that continue to speak and spew and regurgitate the lies, the bullshit, there is no factual equivalence between what Donald Trump did and what Hillary Clinton did or Joe Biden. And so there is no factual equivalence. The part that the part that just makes you want to jump through the screen and scream or choke them is they just continue to regurgitate the same stupidity again and again and again and here's the funny thing none of this should have ever happened that's the craziest thing this isn't like you know some other types of crimes like the hush money payment well maybe he should have kept it in his pants there too or you know some other type of crime that you know that he you know that he's being looked at charged with etc all he needed to do here is return documents. And it wasn't like, as you just said, they asked him on Monday and said, hey, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we want him back. That bullshit lasted for 18 months. People don't realize this. And, 18 until, months prior to that right. raid, they went ahead and they told him, send us back these documents we believe that you have. Sends back a small number. They then sent, nope. I don't have any more. And they say, yeah, you do. He gets Christina Bob, you know, through Evan Corcoran to sign an affidavit. There's no more. They checked for it. That's all while this nonsense is going on with the recording. The feds come. They seize. There's more. They're spewing all over. There is no factual equivalence. When he looks in the mirror tonight and tomorrow and every night and has to deal with this nonsense, as long as he looks at himself and he says, yeah. I did this to myself. Sadly, he won't, but that's the truth. Um, that's right. And look, the 18 months, even like the biggest mafia, right? He, he, you know, I don't <laughs> think any of us would, would try to, you know, bob and weave for those 18 months, but it's a federal subpoena, stupid. 
anybody once it shows up as a lawyer we okay now the gig's up now you must comply and if you sign a piece of paper that says you did comply and you're lying be ready to go to jail um you know that and and again that's where uh smith has very cleverly focused he's got that's really where the story takes place and then the whole indictment just ends we had to go serve a search warrant end of end of whole story so he's zeroed in on the part that is indefensible and and is trump alone oh who else but trump would would get us do we really what if we just said there weren't any that is breathtaking what if you pluck some out go over take them there look through them pluck out the stuff that you think is bad get rid of them blah 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 now look that's what he manages to do he gets lawyers like myself to make real fucking dumb mistakes Real dumb mistakes, right. all in the name of trying to protect him, whether it's protect him from the law, which it's not, or to protect him from himself. You somewhat let your own moral compass go. Today on MSNBC, a former Trump lawyer argued that their number one pretrial claim is going to be prosecutorial misconduct. I mean, how do you think that they'll bring that to bear? And what do you think will be the likely outcome? All right. So let's start with a regular judge, any <laughs> judge who's not Eileen Cannon, because, you know, she could always. But uh, this one's really clear, Michael. The law is so clear um, that, you know, he said on MSNBC, he personally witnessed it. And um, Andrew Weissman quickly said, excuse me, you're not even allowed to be in the grand jury room. It turned out he was a witness in sorts anyway. If every word he said were true, and I, I having been there, you know, there or a similar position, don't believe it. But if every word he said were true, it doesn't entitle Trump to dismiss the an indictment. Supreme Court is so clear about this. You could sue the United States for damages, maybe if they violated your rights, but unless you could show true, not anymore. Huh? Not okay, anymore. Yeah, not okay. anymore. The Dobbs decision overturned yeah. Bivens. That's the my that's my appeals case that's going Good on point. right but now. But I'm saying there 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 would be but the remedy doesn't lie. It's a hundred percent clear in a dismissal of criminal charges. Not to mention that these are all wet. So you're right, they're going that way. If they if he does have halfway competent lawyers, they'll know it's a stone cold loser. And it's just for PR appeal and delay. But um, look, if, if if what they said were true, that you know, while questioning uh, Nalta, the uh, Pratt said something about Nalta's lawyer being up for a judgeship, as if he was, you know, implying they were going to. That I mean, it's all ridiculous if you know how things work. But in any event, it would not matter unless. They are prosecuting him as in in retribution or reprisal for the exercise of his constitutional rights. That's one narrow avenue you can do pretrial. Otherwise, you know, they're barking up the wrong tree. It's got nothing to do with any valid claim for um, actually um, ditching the criminal charges, which is what they're trying to do. Hard to see even Eileen Cannon messing that one up. Yeah, I doubt she will either. But Speaking, since we're going to talk about lawyers for a second, I mean, as of the night before the indictment, Trump didn't even know. Nobody knew who his defense team was going to be. Now, 
Appearing and sitting at the table with him was Todd Blanche and Chris Kyes. And there was a whole slew of shit that was going on earlier, I think, with Chris Kyes, where he's battling with Boris Epstein, a guy who has never practiced law. Yeah, he went to law school, you know, like so many others. He, I believe, passed the bar. But all of a sudden, he's become some legal beagle that Donald is actually relying on. He has no fucking judgment whatsoever. He is the worst judgment of them all. Instead, instead of coming up with somebody who has some, and I don't even know how you find somebody like this. I myself thought, how would, if I was still in the mix here, how would I find somebody who has any knowledge as a lawyer regarding claims of espionage? I mean, when was the last time you ever referred a case to a fellow lawyer that dealt with the Espionage Act? I mean, this is so unusual. Yeah, what you want? The coin of the realm for a lawyer is someone with judgment. And that's Epstein's problem. He's, you know, Trump, it's it's kind of like what happened in, in the lead up to January 6th. Trump stopped listening to anyone who had judgment and only kept listening to, you know, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani. So Epstein has this role, I think, because he's encouraging Trump in doing this all um, politically. But you know he's mm-hmm. he's the he's the the worst um, client in the in the world and and in, besides everything else he doesn't pay any fires lawyers. So. so then the real so the real question, Harry, that I want to get to is so let's say Todd Blanche and Chris yeah. Kyes, like every other lawyer so far before, ends up in some sort of words with Boris Epstein. They end up walking away. What ends up happening here? You think that you know there'll come a point where Trump has to use a public defender because nobody else will take the yeah. case. I think the answer that would be something. is no. And then, and again, that we now have a wild card that hurts all these scenarios. Eileen Cannon, he'll find somebody. If it's gotta be Jenna Ellis, he'll find somebody. And the first thing he'll do is go to the court and say, we've just had to replace. I need six months or whatever to absorb this super complicated case, etc. So he'll never be without anyone with a law degree, but certainly among the people lawyers he's had represented him are, are some who shouldn't have uh, law degrees and are really not um, competent. Yeah, we know people, you know, he got turned down the last couple of days. A lot of people just don't want to, to represent him. And even if they did, their law firms don't. So, but it, he'll always have some lawyer. And I got to say, from the little I know, that Blanche, competent guy, uh, that Susan, mm-hmm. what's her name up in D.C., competent. Ties is, you know, he's an, he's an appellate type. So if, if Epstein stays out of their way, he might actually get, you know, solid uh, representation from them with, with, with adequate judgment. But, you know, if Epstein calls the shots, that won't be the case. And as I always say, Harry, the facts are the facts and they come out. I don't care who your yeah, lawyer is. Right. But earlier today, Harry, you tweeted that a former Trump lawyer was saying on MSNBC that they will relitigate the crime fraud exception issue in regards to the Corcoran notes. Now, do me a favor. Do my listeners a favor and unpack for them what those notes were and why they are significant and how it could actually impact the prosecution's case against Donald. Sure, and it, and the answer is hugely. I've already called them potentially the most important witness, even though, of course, they are notes. 
So everyone knows that um, Corcoran is hearing Trump say some mind-blowing things. Again, paragraph 54 in the indictment, go check it out, where he's basically, you know, saying, I want to violate the the law. And Corcoran, and this actually matters for admissibility, potentially. He's not just this careful lawyer who's taking them as they're happening. He has an oh shit moment. And later, I think while taking a drive, he dictates, you know, 50 pages of stuff that might actually matter for the um, for otherwise under the hearsay clause. But let's leave that to the side because you're asking about crime fraud. The, there's a subpoena saying we want that in the grand jury. And a judge says, OK, I'm going to look at that. It's attorney client stuff. However, you can't uh, use the attorney client privilege to shield a crime. And you know what? They're, look, what are they doing here? They're trying. They're doing obstruction. That's a crime. I'm going to, to pierce it. I find there is this kind of matters a prima facie case. That is, you know, there's reason to believe. As I as I see the law, I you know I I like to research a little more, but I think that um, Cannon can just say, okay, well that's what Beryl Hell thought then for purposes of whether the grand jury could see it, but I get to look at it again, and you know what? I think it is attorney-client privilege. I think it's not crime fraud exception for whatever reason she would do. And, and in other words, she gets us and Trump gets a second bite at the apple with a much better uh, eater that being uh canon and i think it's uh, you know under rule 104a she gets to say is the crime fraud exception apply here and even though another judge said it did she gets to say it doesn't and what happens then the whole thing goes out because it's attorney client privilege uh now he maybe can be forced well even then it's not clear can he be forced to do give statements of Trump, but that would be a way to blow a hole. I mean, a hole, a body blow in the in the DOJ's case, just to simply that would remove it from uh, evidence. So there you have it. Yeah. So let me ask you this then. How concerned are you about the rhetoric that's coming from Trump camp? I mean, people like Kimberly Gargoyle, right, who was out there tweeting the second this shit, this Big mouth, this idiot and a half, right, goes ahead and she's tweeting out in order to get a reaction. And I quote, retribution is coming. All caps, all caps. I mean, she must understand, all cap, right. She must understand that this will lead to some form of violence, whether it's significant or not. I mean, do you believe that part of Trump's plan or maybe the idiots, acolytes that are around him believe that? They can apply pressure by threatening use of the MAGA mob. And let me throw one additional part into this for you to answer. What do you think that Jack Smith has in store for himself as it relates to the, you know, to the MAGA hate squad? Okay. So first, um, I think the answer is yes. The main person who could really try to rein him in is, again, Eileen Cannon. She could say, yeah, run your campaign, but you cannot do things that will pollute the jury uh, pool or will endanger court personnel. But if she doesn't, you know, I think we're looking at at a year of this. I also tweeted today because he's called you know, Biden, the most corrupt president ever and Smith, some whatever uh, that, you know, he's 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 re- hitting his ceiling early. He's got to pace himself. But I think it'll be very, 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 very nasty. I think there will be over it. We had, uh, you know, social media groups uh, already talking about violence. 
And um, he's he's running for president, has the First Amendment right to do so, and he'll always say, oh, it's the other, it's these guys, I'm not revving them up. So it's up to a judge to um, be able to do it. So I think we, as ugly as the last several years have been, I think the next year, without a solid and, and confident judge to rein him in, will be, um, could, you know, could be uh, even worse. And... Um, Oops, I'm sorry, Michael, I prattled on too long. What was the second part of the question? The second part about Jack Oh, yeah, Smith. so Smith. I think Smith is probably is pretty cold-blooded, doesn't think anything is really going to happen to him. He already has a detail of protection, and he'll live with that. I don't think, you know, this is way, way pales in comparison, but I had some pretty high-profile trials and the—, and the um, the um, marshals wanted to protect me, and I didn't think it was. I, so I don't. I don't think Did, he's nervous, but he does have a detail. Harry. Yeah, it's it's important because no matter who you've ever defended, represented, indicted, whatever, it's not the I agree, same. I agree. Thing. I shouldn't have even brought it, my it, pale it's not. You know, an analogy. Up. I, but I, but my I best can only, guess on I can only is, tell you he's going to go about his business with his detail and yeah. not if you have. And this is sort of the lesson in terrorism in general, isn't it? Or January 6th versus now. These people, they're so nasty. They're killers, but they're not necessarily, you know, geniuses. If you have real um, protection and you're pro and you're have focused and anticipated on it i think this would be smith's mindset and it, it would be mine too you know they're not going to be able to uh get at him and talk about an immediate you know sort of death penalty case so um I, my best guess it's just a guess i've never met smith is that he's not losing sleep over it well, i hope not because i can tell he was you in the courtroom today by the maggots. way that's a big deal yeah yeah it is but i can tell you that maggots are very um, temperamental, especially when it comes to their furor. And anybody that does anything that they deem nasty or yep. injurious to him, they're willing to they're willing to fight. Look what they did at the Capitol, right? I mean, let's never forget that. Which look brings me to my last question because the hour goes by very very quickly here. So Jack Smith is still investigating Trump's role in attempting to overturn the 2020 election, January 6th, insurrection and so on. Uh, the resulting attack on the Capitol. People got hurt. People died. With the documents indictment, will that investigation slow down? And then the same question with the Fonnie Willis case in Fulton County, Georgia. I mean, what's the strategy there with all of these, if I mean, if you're D.A. Willis and Jack Smith, what's what's happening here? And is it going to slow it down because it shouldn't? OK, I think I have a pretty good sense of this, although, of course, it's tea leaves. First on Smith in January 6th. If anything, it's going to speed it up just today in the grand jury uh, in D.C., which is where that case would be. Two phony electors came in to testify. You could have thought, looking at it months back, that they'd focus on this, which is clean, and the other, and January 6th, though more serious, is kind of you know more political, harder. All indications are he's going really strong at it. Meadows, for God's sake, who's all over it, has testified, maybe as a cooperator. So, no, I think, if anything, it's speeding up. Fonnie Willis, the indications are she's maybe going big and sprawling, not just a lot of defendants, but Rico, too. But 
Um, the question is, will she and Bragg and the New York AG uh, kind of take a back seat to sequence it so the DOJ goes first? That we don't know. But I think her case is basically done, and she's uh, good as promised. She's going to bring it in August. Question is, then what happens after she brings it? Does it get mothballed for a time? But I think the January 6th case, and this is news, Michael. I, I, that wouldn't have been clear a month or two ago. He's gonna. He's really pushing on, and charges will um, ensue, I think, out of that case, including against Donald Trump. Harry Littman, nobody says it the way you do. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. My pleasure. Thanks, uh, always, always great for seeing you. And I will, no doubt, I will be having you back again. There's a lot to unpack here. And that ain't going to change. All right, Michael, always a pleasure to talk to you. And now for today's Mayor Culpa. As excited as I am about the prospect of Donald Trump seeing his day in court, I am also fearful that somehow, someway, he will find a way to wiggle free. The fact of the matter is that there are no good options left for Trump. He is completely and totally scared shitless. Look, I know him better than anyone. I see it on his face. I, I read it in his untruth social post. He is scared shitless. His campaign is nothing more than a part of his criminal defense strategy. Elect me so I can pardon myself. If you know him like I do, the fact that he must throw himself at the mercy of Judge Cannon is making him absolutely insane. He will do everything in his power to remind her that she is on that bench. Why? Because he put her there. And whether or not his judges will come to the rescue obviously remains to be seen. Cannon proved herself to be a useful idiot already and was overruled by her conservative peers. Now that said, no matter how many poor trials motions that defense throws at her, the evidence is still overwhelming. Plus, there's the fact that Jack Smith could still change jurisdiction. But beyond that, there is the pending Georgia election case and yet another federal charge looming. He may be able to buy himself a little bit of time here, but the clock is ticking for Donald and that now he has nowhere else to run. So Donald, tick, 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 because soon there's going to be an explosion. And as always, thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Mea culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.
smile.